welcome to Queers & Co, the podcast on self-empowerment, body liberation and activism for queer folks and allies. I'm your host, Jem Kennedy. My pronouns are they, them, and I'm a transformational practitioner and coach living in the UK. Hi everyone, welcome to series two of Queers & Co. I'm so excited to be back and to be able to share all of my brilliant guests with you. I've got 13 guests for this coming series and I've recorded about half of the episodes so far. And honestly, I can't wait to put them all out. So I hope you're going to get lots from them and find them interesting, insightful, and maybe share them with anyone that you think might be interested in hearing what my guests have to say as well. The world is in a pretty different place um, now from when I recorded the first series in 2020. So I think the last couple of episodes, we'd just gone into lockdown um, in March 2020. And now here we are in January 2021. Uh, the UK's just entered another lockdown, so I hope you're all keeping safe and well, no matter where in the world you are. It felt really meaningful to me to um, have this guest as my first guest for the second series. I first spoke to them two years ago when I was just starting out with the Quiz and Co project and I interviewed them um, to find out their, about their relationship with their body. And since then, we have uh, crossed paths multiple times and I just think they are brilliant. So I'm really excited to be able to share their interview with you. They are an awesome artist, uh, a performer, a space maker. And if you are in need of any kind of cheering up or cool activities to do online, then I'd highly recommend that you check out their work. And we talk a bit about that during the episode, but you'll also be able to find out more in the show notes. And I'll point you in the right direction at the end of the episode. As always, if you enjoy hearing from my guests, please do let them know. It's really nice for them to um, just know that people out there are listening and that they appreciate what they have to say. And if you'd like to continue the conversation about any of the episodes, please do join the Quiz & Co Facebook group because we'll be having some discussions in there. And also it's a really great space for anyone wanting to share any projects they're working on, uh, find collaborators or to get any more um, insights into particular topics that might be of interest to them, to get resources, that kind of thing. So hopefully see you there. And without further ado, I will introduce my first guest of Series 2, the wonderful... Ruby Jones. Hi Ruby, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Jam. Not at all. It's exciting because um I think I was thinking earlier it's 2 years since we had our first conversation. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, it's gone really quickly and we've seen each other in between obviously, but like when I interviewed you for the zine, yeah, it was 2 years ago, which is gosh, yeah, wild. Um so so much has happened since then until now and um I was conscious that the version of the interview that we had before was written so it would be really cool to like have a podcast version and to catch up. Well great, I'm happy to be here. I love chatting with you. So yeah, thanks for asking me to come on the podcast. Not at all. And um, so for anyone who doesn't know who you are, how would you introduce yourself? Gosh, well Given these nebulous times we're in at the moment, I feel I don't have a as defined a definition of self other than hi, I'm Ruby. That's with three Y's, Jones, and I'm an artist and a space maker. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds so different from how we've um like how you've introduced yourself in other settings before. What's what shifted there? Well, um with COVID and all the situations in the world, a big thing that I would have used to describe myself in that interview probably would have been a performer, which of, of mm. course I still think of myself as a performer. I always will. Um, but because of how I've had to shift my 
creative performance aspect of self, it feels a little bit more like I want to use the term artist because it feels like it encompasses more of what I'm doing now um, and includes performance as well. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the things that you're doing now, uh, people may have come across during lockdown, but they're really exciting. So you have Everybody Move, which you do um, every weekday. Is that right? Yes. Well, we do it six days a week um, because we've added now on Saturday, we do a seated version because I've done seated versions in the past and they were really popular. But um, I like was only doing recorded, but now it's like, no, we need to do it live we need that mm-hmm. live energy so we've added that on Saturdays too and um, how would you describe it for anyone who has no idea what we're talking about <laughs> yeah so everybody move is not a workout workout which is 30-ish minutes of moving your body perhaps challenging your body flexing your body and enjoying your body um, a big thing that I feel like I understood last year was I've had different blocks in my life around elective exercise and movement because of my trepidation and um, trauma from diet culture. And um, everybody move is about supporting each other to move our bodies in a healthy way that is separate to concepts of caloric burn or abs or any other of that kind of, again, Um, diet culture kind of stuff. It's just about moving your body, improving things like balance and coordination and all that kind of stuff. It's about supporting each other to do that as well in a way that feels fun and accessible. So it's, um, it's not a paid class. Like you don't have to buy tickets. You just have to be there. And if you want a tip after, we gratefully, of course, always accept a little bit of energetic exchange. Um, but we just made it because we, being my partner, Prince Lydia and I, because we wanted to move more. We wanted to have a kind of support for that. And then we thought, well, probably other people need that too. So we just invited other people to join us. <laughs> That's great. And yeah, it's so interesting hearing you say that that was one of the realizations that you had over over lockdown or the past year, because um, I've also had loads of blocks around exercise and movement. And I think we talked before about, um, I really used to love dancing and performing and then diet culture kicked in and like it disappeared. Um, not the love, but just, I guess, the the confidence to do it. And there was something about feeling so uncomfortable with like my body getting sweaty or like Mm. getting a red face so many kind of layers upon layers of just not good stuff that I had around exercise um and 2020 was really the year that I actually started to move for enjoyment and it didn't feel like a punishment anymore so it's really it's interesting to hear that you've had a similar I I know that you were performing before so obviously you were doing lots of movement anyway but Yeah. yeah it's just interesting to hear that you've had a similar kind of um realization or or development yeah definitely because um I did do some performing during like during lockdown like some online Mm. posts and stuff and you know I I really enjoyed it but it was nowhere near the schedule that I was keeping before and in a lot of ways I was using my performance as a big physical outlet in in a few ways and I think what was what was interesting about all of us um, in COVID times, not like they aren't continuing, of course, but yeah. <laughs> what's been interesting is it's like a reevaluation of what we want in our life on every level. And 
understanding that that actually is a choice. And partly that's because we all ended up kind of almost with a blank canvas in a way. Obviously we had responsibilities Mm -hmm. and school and work and whatever else, but there was a new level of uh, autonomy somehow through isolation that I think helped a lot of us to realize like, oh, I actually want to do this thing. Yeah. And I guess when the options that maybe people might feel they had to do are stripped away, for example, if you want to move your body, maybe you would think you have to go to the gym or you have to go to a class in a studio or something. When those options are stripped away, maybe there's something about rediscovering the types of movement that actually feel good rather than what you feel you should do. Yes, totally. Exactly. And it's like, as well, even though there was a lot of fat phobia around everyone gaining weight in lockdown, Mm. (laughs) I feel like there was also a kind of thing of people feeling like um, that that the exercise and the movement itself wasn't directly related to that. It was about feeling active in a number of ways. It was about Mm -hmm. mental health. It was about, um, you know, filling your day with things that make you feel good. You know, even though I know a lot of people would have still felt some of those pressures of, you know, maintaining during lockdown or whatever bullshit. um, (laughs) But I do think a lot of people came to it because they realized how helpful and important it was in in different ways, basically, in ways separate to to what they would have thought before. Yeah, and I, I wonder what your what the shift's been like from for you moving from performing and teaching a lot in person mm-hmm. to then kind of having to remodel your business essentially, and um, I guess make sure that that work is still fulfilling your like creative and um, performance outputs. Yeah, that's true, and I've been really lucky that I do feel like what we've kind of uh, the various events we've come up with, we we do have a lot of outlet for for movement, for feelings, for creating, for you know being spontaneous. Um, and it's so funny because people keep saying to me like, "Oh, you're killing lockdown," and like you're making it happen. I'm like, I'm surviving. <laughs> I am surviving like the rest of you. Like, yes, I want to be doing these things, but also I have to, you know, like I've lost all of my income. And Mm -hmm. so I had to, um, you know, make something happen. However, very lucky. I love what we've come up with. (laughs) I love how we've made it work. And a lot of what we've created has been directly to, yeah, supplement and support income, but also supplement and support uh, all the amazing things we got from performing and teaching. So we're we're pretty much doing things seven days a week, which is kind of wow. interesting, but not like I wasn't doing seven days a week before. <laughs> and we have the Everybody Move, which is six days a week, which is a really great outlet for community, you know, and I know it doesn't quote feel the same sometimes, but I'm starting to feel like the online community is feeling the same for me, especially mm-hmm. as someone who is neurodivergent. I can find in-person stuff actually very, very challenging. Mm-hmm. And I actually didn't know how challenging it was for me until I didn't have to do that anymore. Um, You know, of course, I miss giving people hugs and sharing a sweaty dance studio together, but I actually don't see myself ever going back to that, at least not Mm -hmm. in that way, not in that, um, with that frequency. I just literally can't do it. And I didn't Mm -hmm. know I couldn't do it because I didn't know I was coping and just 
holding it together so much before. Whereas now I, you know, still feel that great connection with my students and community and creativity without feeling the, um, uh, dealing with the rest, the processing and, and the proximity of, of constantly being around people. I love people, but I'm liking them at the other end of a camera very much as well. (laughs) (laughs) I so relate to that. And I think, um, I guess, is that something that you expected when you, when you stopped, when lockdown, you know, kicked in first and you thought, right, that's it. I'm going to have to work from home now. Was there that kind of realization that, wow, this will give me extra processing time and it will be nice to have a bit of space or was it something that emerged as lockdown went on? I think it was a bit of both, to be honest, like, cause I was previously living in London. London is so crazy. And like, you know, to go anywhere, pretty much it would take an hour so for mm. me to teach an hour dance class, that would be three hours of an at an absolute minimum of like commitment, which included a lot of like high stress, like going on the tube, like kind of stuff, and then teaching, and then after being depleted from teaching, going on the tube again, and the stress of that. Mm. So I knew that that was going to be removed. So I was kind of excited about the prospect of, yeah, not having that constant bombardment. Um, But I couldn't have anticipated how much it would help me to be able to do the things I want to do and to do them more completely and more Mm. um, with more presence, I guess. Um, Because when you're on camera, you know, you have to be like on camera teaching or any specifically, you have to be really present to do it well. You have to be really present. You have to be really considering all the factors all at once. You have to be really thinking about many, many things. And I'm really good at that, but only for a short period of time. (laughs) So I can do that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's true. That's true. But I can do that in a way I think is like, you know, special to be honest. Mm. Um, but I can't do that. Um, when I'm super exhausted and like taking in an hour to get across London to get to a dance studio, like I didn't realize how much, how much that was until I, I thought I knew. That's what I mean. I thought I knew. I thought, oh gosh, yeah. just be nice. We'll have a little break. And I was like, well, actually, I can never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that I relate to that in so many ways. Like one, moving out of London was mm. like, wow, <laughs> this is different. Um, and two, I think just in, in lockdown, just having space, like having sometimes endless amounts of space where there was a time where we didn't know when it was going to end. And today we've just gone back into lockdown in the UK for um, now they're saying at least until March. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah, there's like just this long space of time. And what do you put in it? I mean, really, the unless obviously some people are having to still go out to work and um, or work from home. But if if you do have these spaces of time, that's something that's really inaccessible in normal everyday life, like to actually yes. explore things creatively or to come up with new ways of doing things. Totally. And like, I noticed it in parts of my life separate to work in that, you know, um, my partner, I, Lydia, like we'd really struggled to be able to manage all the in day, day in and day out kinds of stuff. So don't get me wrong. Our house wasn't like a tip or anything, but it was like, was our laundry like always regularly done and never overflowing and like whatever, like now it feels like uh, we have capacity 
to actually do human everyday life things <laughs> because we're not putting all of our energy into recovering from work and doing work. And talking of um of being at home more, you now recently moved to Canada. Was it this month or last month? So it was last month at the end of the month. Yeah. And we moved to Ottawa just for a month because we were really lucky to have a place available there um, for us to quarantine and have the holidays. And then we moved again last week. Oh, wow. And we're in my hometown now. Oh, my goodness. So where, whereabouts is that? So Paris, Ontario, Canada. Okay. <laughs> And how's it going so far? So far, so tricky. It's like everywhere I go, I'm hit with like 20 years of unprocessed information. Oh, wow. (laughs) From like what, you know, from, from my birth till I left, basically, it feels like I... I'm just, it's just everywhere. And it's really interesting. I'm living with my mom at the moment and where she lives is like directly in the neighborhood I grew up with in. And Mm. it's like, there's that time I fell on my bike and skinned my knee. There's that time I did this. There's that time I did that. And it's just like, it's absolutely, (laughs) it's, I'm, I'm liking it, but it's also, oh my gosh, I'm not gonna lie. So much daily, so much. And it's almost like my 13 years in London again, because of a lot of things, I was so disconnected from my home and my family and who I was before I moved to England. It was like, everything was about my, my life in the UK. And then now it's like, oh yeah, (laughs) I had a life before then. I'm just (laughs) processing all that basically. Yeah, that sounds like a lot to process. And like moving to back to, I'm, I'm imagining quite a different country from what you left because that was quite some time ago. Yes, that's true. And trying to understand what that even means now, you know, it's really tricky. Like you can have a sense from your own family or the people that you know, but really trying to get a sense of it kind of like wider, more generally, it's it feels tricky. Yeah. And um, what does that mean for... um? Oh, I have so many questions. Hang on. What do I want to ask? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess I'm thinking like, what does that mean for performing and for the work that you have done in the past? Is that, is it that you'll kind of stick with doing online stuff? Um, Is it, is it kind of possible to do the work that you were doing before from where you're based now? So some of it is because I have to say, I don't see anything returning to near normal this year. And I've been, I guess maybe I feel like optimistic and I feel hopeful about quote things returning to normal, but pretty early on, I was like, all right, (laughs) this is some fuckery shenanigans. Humans, humans are trying to rush something that is biological is of nature. It cannot be rushed. Um, we can't be like pushing and pushing and pushing for anything to be what it was because things take time. And I felt Mm. like, and I'm not going to be too like whatever about this, but you know, a lot of people said, Oh, COVID's reminded us how much time we didn't have and how much time things take. And I'm like, yeah, no, but literally like, she's going to need some more time. Mm. (laughs) Like, you know, all these things with the different developments in the vaccine and like, can we like mix this and now these new strains and all this and that. It's like, I don't know why I do capitalism. Why? (laughs) felt like, oh, okay, we'll just sort it out and everything will be back to normal. Really yeah. early on, I was like, absolutely 
not. That is not happening. That's not the way this is going to go because it's not the way things go. And so I've kind of felt that way this year in that um, I want to continue evolving and producing content online because I've also realized like it's inaccessible to people to constantly require physical presence. And that was one thing that really struck me at the beginning of doing my dance workshops online was I would have whatever number of people in the class and probably a, an absolute maximum of 20% of them could have actually taken my class in person when I was running it. It was yeah. like everyone else was in a different country, in a different part of the country, in a different part of the world. And I started to think, well, why wouldn't I continue doing this? Why wouldn't, why would I want to make myself inaccessible to other individuals? And it's not just people in other countries. Obviously, there's lots of things that make, uh, like going to a show at the RVT inaccessible. Mm-hmm. And I, don't like that. Because I guess when you think of um, a physical class where you're in a space teaching something, you imagine, you know, it has to be in person. But actually, why would you, from a business point of view, like limit your audience? Mm-hmm. And from like, if you want to bring your work to as many people as possible, why would you do that? Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, exactly. And also, it's like, for me, a lot of my um, ethos around the you know, previously around accessibility was for, you know, different bodies, different genders, you know, people Mm -hmm. who felt um, excluded, maybe more socially or whatever. And, you know, that's, it's for me, it's just a continuation on that, some of my understanding of accessibility, basically, and, and what it really means to say everyone is welcome, if you then have it in an an accessible venue in London that costs 15 pounds to get in, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And I think with the communities that you work with also, there's that added um, element, isn't there? Like working with the queer community and potentially people who might want to come to a class, but maybe might feel unsafe to do that. Yeah. There's so much there. Yeah. It's so amazing in that way. And it's like really blown my mind that I hadn't thought of it sooner. Mm. Um, But, you know, I, I didn't. And actually, funnily, I had already been doing teaching online Um, but there was little, there were little hiccups along the way that made me stop trying to do like, so originally I started doing webinars and then I thought, Oh, why don't I just do my other workshops online? And then there was like zoom probably was a thing at that time, but I didn't know about it. It, Uh It was like maybe four or five years ago that I started teaching online and things like music copyright. Like I would try to run a workshop on Facebook and then Facebook would kick me off or whatever. And it's because of a few technological things as well. It's been a little bit more possible, which is really exciting. Um, And yeah, it just feels good because it feels like more sustainable for everybody involved for me personally to do what we're doing online. And again, that yeah, that's dance classes, that's one-off workshops and lip sync or performance. Um, but we're also doing life drawing classes, which happen on Mondays weekly. And that started to become um, quite an outlet for me for dressing up. But I definitely need that, you know, like I... I need I need to do that. I need to drag up. I need to dress up. It's a big part of me expressing my creativity and myself. So, yeah. Yeah. And that brings me on actually to another question that I was keen to ask you about. So you and um, Lydia have been doing these amazing um, sort of online letters to the queer community. Yes. 
as though you're their parents. Yes. And if anyone hasn't come across them, you should absolutely go to Ruby's um, Instagram and check them out. But how did that come about? Like what what inspired you both to do that? So we did that because um, just, for tra- just to be... Uh, I'm not being secretive to be anything but confidential. So one of us got an email from a parent (laughs) in that time that we found really upsetting and um, felt like this person didn't understand actually what specifically as queer artists and self-employed people we were up against in that Mm -hmm. time. And it felt like... I don't know. I I can't think of what the word is. I want to say like wish fulfillment. It's like a combination of like wish fulfillment and like revenge fantasy. Uh, (laughs) In that we were like, what is the email we wish we would have got? And so we wrote it and then we decided to do this funny photo to go with it. And only funny because it is just kind of funny. Humorous, I would say. Um, But the letters themselves are you know, they're heartfelt and they're serious and they're the way that we're learning how to parent ourselves and we're sharing that with other people in a way. Um, the Ma and Pa letters have continued because we really love doing them. And each time we do it, we're usually inspired by something in our life that we feel we want support on or we can see other people want support on. We want to... Yeah be those supportive parents. Did you know as well, that's like a whole trend on TikTok now? Oh, is it? it and, and I'm not saying we started, I just didn't <laughs> or anything. Um, <laughs> but it's like, we've, I've discovered it since because I kind of discovered TikTok properly since then. And um, yeah, there's all these like amazing people who some of them will do it like wordlessly, like with music, like people do on TikTok, but it's always like point of view, we're your queer parents and we just came home early. And then the twist is like, we're like, have fun and leave or whatever. And then there's other people who do it where they'll talk to camera, like as if they were like reading one of our letters out loud kind of thing, like a similar advice type things or support type things. It's really amazing. Like I absolutely love TikTok. I honestly, I just think it's so cool. I think I said this to you. I think we had this conversation. I was like, get on it. I did. I did go on it, but then I got so absorbed. (laughs) I was like, okay, I really have to come off of this because otherwise I'll never just get, I'll just never get anything done. But um, yeah, that's so cool. I wonder if you did start it. How awesome is that? Well, you know, I, whether I, whether we started it or not, um, (laughs) no, I just feel like it's fun to be part of waves of things like that. And it was kind of reassuring to like stumble on that as a thing, because I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is a an energy that's out there and it feels really cool to be a part of a part of it because I think a lot of it it really does come from just wanting to make the world a better place and just wanting people to feel okay. Oh, hey there. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Here's a reminder just to take a few breaths and to drink some water. And while you do that, here's something you may not know. I'm a transformational practitioner and I work one-to-one mainly with queer and neurodivergent folks who are into social change in some way. If you'd like to find out more about working with me, head to gemkennedy.com where you can book a free intro call. And now I'll let you get back to Ruby. Yeah, and that reparenting, the reparenting thing, it's such a, yeah, I find it such a fascinating subject, but 
I'm thinking about sort of going through lockdown, having to shift your business and, you know, the way that you work and your creativity to a different, um, almost entirely a different mode, and then moving back to the town that you grew up in. Um, <gasps> yeah, what, what reparenting has been going on for you, if that doesn't feel too personal to ask? Well, it's like slow at the moment because I just feel like in the last few weeks, I've just been like a bratty, like asshole child (laughs) 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 because of just like actually just dealing with so much and processing so much and how I've taken care of my child is I've been like, okay, you've had enough. Let's go have some time and space away. Um, you know, because one thing I, I've always known that I was a sensitive person, but unfortunately I kind of demonized my sensitivity, um, through how society taught me to do that. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I really have understood this year is that it's a gift, but it's, it's a gift full stop, but also I need to protect myself more. And that doesn't necessarily mean like, uh, be on guard all the time. It means I need to rest more. I need to be more honest about what are my like environment triggers or food Mm -hmm. triggers for a bad mood or, you know, whatever it might be. I've had to be a little bit more honest with myself about some of those things because of out of the want to actually help myself feel a little bit more peaceful and feel a little bit more capable. Um, and it is a lot. Like I, I honestly feel like I'm not totally processing everything I can right now. Well, I, cause I am processing everything I can right now. I'm not processing everything right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this, especially this week, it's like, we're back from holiday. We're in a new place. It's I'm seven days of, of events all in a row, all different stuff. And at the moment it has, um, you know, kind of got into the work mode, work and rest mode, alternating between that. But that's still an improvement on where I would have been in parenting myself previously because there would have been almost no rest. Yeah. Yeah. And I think being a queer person as well, like particularly there can be some really important reparenting that needs to go on. And I guess that may be why so many people have found your letters really helpful to have those kind of, um, yeah, that understanding from, from, elders you're obviously playing the roles of elders in those situations and that they maybe hadn't haven't received in their younger years yeah and you know I I just I'm still like constantly blown away by how rejected people are by their own family and that comes from a place of ish privilege for me and that I haven't been rejected by my family like can they get the pronouns right? Will I get them right eventually? Probably. Like, are they going to be gobsmacked when they understand like that I'm considering top surgery or those things? Yes. But are they going to not want me to be in their life and not near their children and whatever? No. But Mm -hmm. so many people are. And I just feel like it's just such a shame And I've come to the point in my life where I feel pretty sure I'm not going to have my own biological children. Um, But I've never felt or I've never felt a real lack of that because of the way I've been able to 
be such a part of people's lives through my mentorship and the way I feel connected to them. I'm like well aware it's not the same thing as uh, birthing someone, but at the same time, I think, you know, we're about ready in society to let go of some of our constructs around everything. And that includes what is a parent and who is a parent and who parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 I haven't been the sole parent to any one individual, but I've seen queer youth through big, important parts of their life. And I, you know, it's, it's helped me to realize I deserve the same, um, kind of care and rest and encouragement of, of different things like that, that I give to other people. Yeah, definitely. And I remember when we first talked about, um, about your work we were talking about your kids with a cue and how they like would come around to your house and use your makeup and all kinds of things and that's just such a cool a cool community to to be able to facilitate for people and to be part of yeah and I feel you know I feel happy that that can translate online as well but also that it can kind of translate through art as opposed to that direct individual interaction. Cause although I'm keeping up direct individual interaction and support, it feels exciting that it can be for more people actually. Yeah. Um, and it kind of for more people with less, less effort than it would take to impact them all individually, essentially, or interact with them individually. And, that feels really good. And it feels good because again, I don't want to return to a place where I'm constantly giving everything of myself till I don't have anything left to give, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's such a place that lots of parents go, <laughs> biological and otherwise. And, you know, that's that's a learned thing of of something somewhere along the way, right? And I something I really, really would like to deeply unlearn. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned um, earlier, like considering potentially having top surgery and we've talked before about your relationship with your body. Mm-hmm. And I just wondered how that is evolving for you over time and what, what it means kind of being non-binary on, in your new environment. I know it's still very new, yeah. but um, yeah, what, what your thoughts are around those kinds of things? It's so funny because yeah, like, so we've been in Canada just like I guess six weeks maybe and we've been in my hometown for not a week yet but I already am like I'm gonna be queer and gayer than ever like I literally <laughs> am like I've I in London I started to feel like maybe in for me it felt like in London there is other people being more visibly queer and so they, they didn't need my energies to do that. You know, I could, I still look like a dyke to most people's eyes and mind anyway, whatever that might mean. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. And I've started to feel already like I'm going to wear crazy colors and I want to push myself out there further because um, I'm not seeing many queers in the village. And uh-huh. um, I'd like to see more and sometimes it helps to see others around and it's made me feel much more like I want to express my queerness more overtly also when it comes to my body physical body like specifically it's like I think it's a little bit of 
a thing for me that I hadn't previously considered surgery as far as affirming my gender because I don't know, because it just wasn't what was right at the time. But as I age and as I'm getting older, my body's changing more. It's changing more in a way that I feel is not what I want and not what I feel is me, basically. And Mm -hmm. that's like something that I feel is coming a little bit more with, yeah, with age more than anything else otherwise like shifting in my body perhaps. Yeah. And also it's kind of funny, like uh, Lydia and I were talking about it sometime over the lock, the uh, over 2020, you know, when I was smaller physically, I didn't really have much of a chest. And the only reason I have a bust is because I'm bigger um, now physically. And I think I didn't, I never really connected with having breasts and I never, well, except for when I first got them. Cause I was one of those who actually, I literally woke up one day and I had like boobs and everyone thought, <laughs> I, I, everyone thought I stuffed my bra because it literally was like, bam, overnight. Oh, wow. Um, but I remember like just being so bothered by them. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they're just so in the way, like there's crumbs all over them. I'm bashing into doorways, but you know, I didn't recognize that as dysphoria at the time. And I'm sure every young person who develops breasts has a certain level of what the fuck is this um, when they're first happening or, Mm -hmm. you know, to some degree or another, but it's like now as my body's changing more and I have bigger breasts and like, you know, all these things, I just, I just realize how much it doesn't feel like me to have them. And Mm -hmm. it's so funny because I just, now I desperately want a breastplate, which um, for those who don't know, a breastplate is a silicone um, costume piece that people wear so they have breasts. And some people wear them in day-to-day life. Sorry, it's not always costume, but it is all drag, darlings. Um, So I have this kind of like obsession now of having these like really big silicone breasts, but I don't want the really big natural ones. Uh-huh. I like would like my norm I would like my everyday body to be more neutral and then it makes me feel like I want my drag to be even more like femme and like bodaciously woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that that experimenting with with gender and um I guess playing with drag is something that we talked about before and it's it feels like um, when people have the chance to do that, it really helps them to develop a sense of self and like what they, um, I guess, just get more in touch with their body, even by by um, dressing in in ways that aren't like their body or changing mm-hmm. parts of it, um, you know, for a performance or just just for fun at home. Um, but yeah, what what has that been like? Kind of going through that process of trying on lots of different. I don't know how to, I guess, I don't want to say personas, but I don't know if you know what I mean. That, that kind of experimenting yeah, like kind with of different, different energies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny cause I used to be like afraid to get into male drag. Mm-hmm. I felt really afraid to get into male drag. I was really scared that I was going to be like really upset by it. Um, which, you know, ding, 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 but <laughs> No, but I didn't know. I was just like, I don't know. I just don't want to see myself like that. And I just think it'll be really upsetting. And then I actually did 
Um, my first Drag King character debuted last year um, at one of the few shows I did last year called Cabaret Roulette. And there's um, there's a performer who's who's like ish known. They're not super famous, but his name is Tony Clifton. And most people would know him from appearing in a film called Man on the Moon, which was starring Jim Carrey. And he was um, representing Andy Kaufman. Okay. And Andy Kaufman was this like surreal, kind of surrealist comedian who had like different kinds of characters. But then Tony Clift, okay, so follow me on this gem. So Tony, <laughs> this, is a, this is a real me thing. So Tony Clifton is a real person, is a uh-huh. real lounge singer. But Andy Kaufman then played like, played a version of Tony Clifton um, and brought him like into pop culture a little bit. And so in this show, I did my version of Tony Clifton Um, because Tony Clifton, after Andy Kaufman started being played by different people, like like Andy Kaufman would send someone else to play Tony Clifton on the Johnny Carson show. Oh, wow. And it was this real like head fuckery of, of drag, of dragness. And so I, I love that. And I think there's something, cause if, I, if people Google Tony Clifton right now, he pretty much looks like this, like just skeezy Las Vegas, maybe more like Boston <laughs> lounge singer with like a broom brush be- uh, mustache and just like ruffly tuxedo gaudy whatever and there was something about tony it was like my gateway because i was in male drag but it was just different because actually that's a lie so i did try and i think this was during lockdown as well no it must have been before lydia put me in male drag and what i didn't like about it is i didn't like trying to be like a sexy like boy band guy i like Uh wanted I wanted to play with masculinity differently. And that's what actually made me um, make this Tony Clifton or go into the Tony Clifton zone. Cause I just, I wanted something that felt like a real, actually more like a real archetypal man than, a, and then the archetypal boy band kind of look. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so yeah, Tony was like this gateway where then after that I felt much more comfortable putting that on and trying it. It didn't feel scary. And I guess for people who are trying drag or that kind of stuff to just kind of like explore and push themselves, I would encourage them to like go to the, go to an extreme because somewhere in between there might lie other truths, but somehow Mm -hmm. going to the extreme of where you are, it leaves a greater space to explore in between. That's really interesting. I've never thought of that before. Well, it worked for me. So that's all I could say. Because after (laughs) that, I felt, yeah, I felt much more comfortable. And like, same as I really love as being an AFAB drag queen, like I've always, like my mom would always say like, why can't you be a pretty drag queen? (laughs) (laughs) and it's like well I spent like a good 10 years 15 years trying to be a 
you know, pretending and dragging up as a pretty woman. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to be a terrifying woman. I want to be a disgusting woman. I want to be a shocking woman. I want to be a terrifying woman. Same as I want to be a disgusting, sweaty man or a, you know, a bumbly, stumbly, cute man. I'm not like super interested in, um, exploring delectable or <laughs> easy in a way kind of archetypes. And I, I don't know why, just my personality, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think there's something really queer in that though. Like yeah. also being able to, um, because that idea of like, if you're if you're doing drag, needing to pass potentially, or, you know, yeah. to look as close to the perfect version of um, what a woman, cis woman might look like, yes. that kind of thing. Yeah, that doesn't feel... Yeah, it doesn't feel quite queer enough, I guess. And yeah. so actually, yeah, being able to queer that and and appear in other in other ways feels yeah, feels really much more appealing to me. Yeah, totally. And also like it was definitely spurred from the fact that like when I started doing quote female drag, it was, you know, it was over 10 years ago now and it was very different drag worlds then. And, um, it's the same one though now where there was, you know, this pressure, they would always say to me like, Oh, why are you wearing that? Or why aren't you wearing this? And because mm -hmm. I was someone who socialized as an AFAB person, I was really sensitive to the pressures of a woman should look like this. A woman should do that. So I was kind of like, known for being really unpolished or like oh ruby jones never wears a wig or have you seen ruby jones wearing flats and i would literally be wearing that to be like fuck you <laughs> yeah i am gonna wear these flats and i'm not gonna wear lashes and i'm gonna wear no wig and i'm gonna call it drag and i don't care what you think <laughs> and what you say and even how you feel sorry to say because i am not going to in my art and in my drag subscribe to some sort of crazy misogynistic concepts of what a woman needs to be like it just seems absolutely ludicrous but people felt even more entitled to say that to me because i was an afab person for sure yeah and there's something about diet culture in there too right like if oh, that yes there's that kind of um need to be the the most perfect woman you could possibly be but then also the idea of like with that coming thinness and attractiveness um a quietness and those kinds of things yeah exactly and definitely like in the early days of doing that the kind of the drag queens I was working with I just knew they just didn't understand they couldn't understand at the time what the pressure was as an AFAB person to be that. I still, like, I remember I even, um, my flatmate in London, I was having a conversation with him before um, I moved and he was saying something like, oh, well, what, what made you feel the pressure to like, you know, diet or whatever. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Do you think a single AFAB person lives their life without everybody in society telling them that they are bad if they are not X, Y, Z? Like, yeah. I couldn't believe he's, he was like an intelligent dude who's lived with me for six years and like just seen so much. And I was like, I can't believe you just said that to me. Like, it's <laughs> So like wild. So I knew that a lot of the the gays who were, you know, looking down on my drag at the time couldn't possibly understand um totally 
uh, what, where I was coming from, no matter how many times I said it, because in their mind, I still would look better if I was wearing heels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I, I wore heels for probably 10 years every single day. Like I know what heels do. I know, I know that, <laughs> you know, don't yeah. you think I know? <laughs> it's not a secret. <laughs> yeah, it's not a secret. And also it just feels to me like, you know, and don't get me wrong, I love a very beautiful, glamorous drag queen. Like, oh, I love it, like totally. But I don't want it for me because I was literally my real life reality for like 10 years longer. Yeah. And, you know, it, it almost destroyed me as a person and probably did destroy me as a person. You know, that's something mm-hmm. I'm still coming back from. And, you know, as you said, reparenting myself on now, because that is something that it, it's a lot to unpack the damage it takes to pretend to be someone else in your life for a majority of your life. Yeah. And there's so much in there, isn't there? Because I think like, as well as being queer, and I remember that we talked before about the kind of realizations that you had when you um, realized that you were a lesbian mm-hmm. at the time, and then like realizing you were, um, and this isn't an exact quote, but you said something like unfuckable to men. And as soon as <laughs> of having that realization what did that mean and I guess now with the um kind of well with the new or um additional realizations that you're having about your body there's just so much um kind of bundled up in that and I think also neurodivergence comes in comes into it as well Mm -hmm. because there's something around like um as neurodivergent people needing to mask or being required to mask in order to get by in a neurotypical world Mm. and when you're able to unpack all of that like what can you be then Mm. what you know what are the limitations because they're very different than if um you exist in a neurotypical bubble totally yeah totally and I think that's what's really interesting about the 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 chapter that's unfolding before me is like when I've got to this point of really feeling like not completely, but much better understanding my gender and much better understanding my neurodiversity and much better understanding my kind of quirks. It's like, then I'm put back where it all began. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. And now it's like, so what have you really learned? Let's, let's see. And I'm not saying that I don't think the universe is, saying it to me like, oh, you got to show us what you got now. They believe in me. It's, it's yeah. a, it's not a test that it's not a test. It's, yeah. It's almost like coming full circle, isn't it? Yes. Yes. For sure. Wow. So, how exciting. Yeah, exactly. And in that way, it's really early days. We'll have to do, we'll have to do one another time this year at this time, see where we're at. That would be really cool. <laughs> So something I like to ask people in every episode is if there's something they'd like to recommend or something they're really enjoying at the moment, and it can be an idea, like a person, an album, anything at all. Is there anything that you have to share? Okay. So I don't know if this qualifies. Um, Uh, Anything qualifies. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So my um, new thing that I'm super into is going to bed really early and getting up actually quite early as well. Not all days because my main thing that I'm super into is sleep because after a few years of actually being afraid, like I had like a phobia of sleep for 
a few years that certainly didn't contribute to anything. Um, I am now like, everybody, let's all develop bedtime routines. Let's all go to bed. Let's wake up in the, early in the morning and not talk for three hours and be quiet in the world. Sure. Like, I am highly recommending rest, 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 because I'm still learning how to do it well, and I'm still learning how to do it consistently, but even from my foray into that, I'm like, wow, game changer. Yeah, this is, oh, it resonates with me so much because um, on an episode I recorded last week with Adele Jarrett Kerr, who is um, just awesome, she actually recommended sleep. That was her thing that she's enjoying at the moment and having a sleep routine. Um, And through lockdown, I realized quite how bad my sleep was. Like it just Mm. got worse and worse. Yeah. And And it wasn't until I could like have a nap in the day or a rest in the day, I started to realize like my toxic beliefs around rest were like, like I'm not even allowed to sit down. I'm like not allowed to not work. I'm not allowed to in the middle of a global crisis and like, you know, a million crises. Do you remember there was like one, six weeks where it felt like literally like we cannot take one more thing. Like I was still struggling with feeling like I was allowed to rest. Wow, it's so deeply ingrained, isn't it? It is. It's crazy. And I don't like to use the word uh, crazy loosely, so I'm going to say it's bananas. Because, (laughs) like, we all need it, right? And it only makes things better. And also, we've been so, like, tricked into the lifestyles we're in, I feel like, that I'm just like, we all kind of went, whoa, wait, what? What was I doing? Why was I doing that? Why was I doing that like that? It's a huge wake up. Yeah. Wake up. <laughs> Pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> so what time are you going to bed? Just so I can like get some tips on the oh sleep routine. Oh my gosh. Like last night it was like 10. I remember looking at the clock. It was nine minutes past six. And I was like, you can't go to bed yet. <laughs> <laughs> Did you actually? <laughs> I didn't. We, I, we went, to, we, we, Lydia and I went to bed. We watched a little bit of TV, but we were like both definitely asleep, totally asleep by nine o'clock. Oh, wow. And what time are you getting up? I'm going to bed as early as possible. Well, it's like, so it depends because so Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we do everybody move um, at 12 p.m. UK time, which is 7 a.m. Canada time. So on those days, we get up at 5.30. But then on Saturdays, my dance class, I just kept all my time so that I could still work for the UK, (laughs) to be honest. So my dance class is at the same time on Saturdays, which is 11 a.m., which is 6 a.m. here. So I get up at 4.30 to make sure I'm like super ready. So we're getting up anywhere between 4.30 and 7.30, I guess, on any given day. But we're still scheduling in, literally scheduling lie-in days, like this uh-huh. is the day we lie-in. And even if we're not sleeping in, we're like having like, you know, like chill coffee in bed, like scrolling on the phone, like not not getting up and go, go, going until a little bit later. Nice. Oh, I'm yes. going to have to try getting up really early. Oh my God. I have to say it's, it, obviously there was an adjustment, but it's so nice to like just you know, if you do work as well, if you get up at like four or five in the morning and say you started work, say you got up at five and then you did some work at six by 9am, you've done three hours of work and you have this mm-hmm. whole day ahead. And it's like, Oh, now I can do whatever the fuck I want. I could go back to yeah. bed. I could like paint a picture. I can play a game. I can do whatever. 
because, you know, obviously we do, unfortunately, still have to have jobs and get stuff done. But sometimes it's nice to just like do it first thing. And then you're like, ah, what would I like to do with my day? Yeah, that sounds cool. I'm going to have to schedule all my clients from like 4 4 a.m. onwards. Oh my gosh, (laughs) honestly, highly, highly recommend it. I would just have to start working in Australia or something. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good business model. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, Ruby. It's been so great to catch up. Yeah, no, it's been really nice. Thanks again for asking me to have a chat. Not at all. And hopefully speak to you again in two years. (laughs) Yeah, sounds good. (laughs) Well, there you have it. The first episode of series two of Quiz and Co. So great to be back. Uh, if you'd like to follow Ruby's work, then please do head to Instagram or you'll also find them on Facebook. Their Instagram handles are Ruby with three Y's Jones. You can also check out their life drawing, which is Life Drawing Ruby, again with three Y's, or the Everybody Move event, which is Everybody with three Y's Move. So if you're looking for a way to move your body that feels joyful and will set you up for the day, then I'd really recommend heading over to that. I'll be back next week with another awesome guest. And in the meantime, if you'd like to carry on the conversation, then head over to the Quiz & Co Facebook group. Bye, everyone.